everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, it's the 185th episode of the podcast and the last one for 2022. Uh, This week I've got a special treat, Camilla is back and she's talking about the security of open source code, in particular about how that compares to proprietary code. And kind of a common question I guess that we get within open source is that, you know, how can the code be more secure or how can it even be secure at all if it is publicly available? Uh, you know, couldn't anyone change it? Couldn't anyone mess with it? That kind of thing. So yeah, she dives into that. A really good discussion coming up later. But we will first do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So there were 54 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. Up first, we had an update for Postgres in Ubuntu 16.04 Extended Security Maintenance. A single CVE here. Uh, this is actually fixed for uh, the regular releases, and I talked about that back in one, episode 138, so a few weeks ago. Uh, In this case, it's around the handling of um, secure connections. It's akin to a lot of the um, start TLS type vulnerabilities that we see where, you know, a connection is initially established in the clear and then it's upgraded to like a TLS connection. Um, But in the interim, an attacker could potentially insert contents. uh, And then once the secure connection is set up, you know, that initial contents that got inserted could then be processed as though it had been sort of secure and authenticated, even though it hadn't been. So you're able to inject, you know, arbitrary SQL queries and that kind of thing as an attacker. So that has been fixed. As well, uh, Heimdall has been fixed for a single vulnerability, a one-byte buffer overread that could be triggered with a crafted certificate causing a crash in that case. What else? Uh, LibC was updated for 604 Extended Security Maintenance. In this case, uh, four different vulnerabilities were fixed there. All of these were uh, triaged by our team as either low or negligible priority. So a lot of these are uh, the kind of thing where you have to run uh, various utilities against what is usually considered to be trusted data. So you're not normally running things like Icon and others against um, you know, untrusted things or just random stuff that you're finding on the internet. So yeah, unlikely to be, uh, to be exploited by these, but various crasher bugs in particular too so all of these are denial of service as well so yeah not super high priority but they've all been fixed for 604 extended security maintenance we then had an update for python this updates python for both extended security maintenance and our regular lts releases as well um, all of these had uh, a vulnerability where uh, the handling of uh, idna or internationalized domain names uh, the parsing of that had a quadratic order um, or order n squared implementation in the parsing of that so if an attacker were to provide a really long uh, domain name that used uh, in particular bidirectional text as unicode uh, you could therefore or get uh, the client to chew up a heap of CPU time trying to parse that. Uh, that was being fixed to basically re-implement that using a not uh, quadratic order uh, algorithm. Uh, this code is used by both the socket and async IO modules in Python and it's the kind of thing that could be triggered uh, via just a, a server sending something like a 300 redirect header or similar. Uh, as a result, you know, the client has no real way of blocking that and so yeah, you could easily trigger that against uh, clients. Uh, the other issue here was a possible integer overflow in the SHA-3 implementation in Python and that only affects uh, the more uh, recent releases so that's uh, 18.04 LTS and onwards and I thought this one was interesting because Python being a memory safe interpreted language we don't often see things like integer overflows, buffer overflows, that kind of thing however in this case uh, this code is actually written in C it's part of the core part of Python and so, you know, as being written in C, it can easily still have these kind of bugs in it. Uh, and so, yeah, there was an integer overflow there. Uh, if you were using SHA-3, you are now a little bit safer. We had a couple updates as well for 16.04 extended security maintenance, including uh, protobuf and uh, GCC version there as well for a few low priority issues. 
We had an update for Squid as well for 604 extended shooting maintenance. Uh, this was actually a regression. Uh, one of uh, the other teams here at Canonical picked up on this. Uh, they've got the Squid deployed and uh, was noticing a heap of log messages uh, from the Squid cache, uh, in particular around uh, very header. So this is a header that gets sent uh, by HTTP servers to kind of indicate that uh, the contents that they're sending back may vary depending on what the uh, query or what the client parameters are in that request. And so uh, there was a fix for a vulnerability done well a cve dated in 2016 uh, we updated that for that a couple years ago and yeah introduced this regression uh, the regression came from upstream squid and was fixed a bit later but yeah we've never included that fix uh, only now uh, have we noticed that needed to be included so yeah thanks to uh, the other team for pointing that one out and that has now gone out to fix that so yeah initially kind of thought this was an issue just around uh, lots of log messages uh, kind of spamming the log but actually it was a real bug in that uh, certain things that were in the cache were not being able to be found due to what was an off by one error so you know not a kind of memory safety issue or anything like that but more just it would never find that entry in the cache that was really there but hey that's now been fixed so you've got a lot less cache log messages ending up plus uh, your squid should be a bit more efficient as well uh, we had an update for uh, QMU uh, going all the way back to 14.04 extended security maintenance plus all the way through to 22.10. So basically every release that we're supporting. Uh, various usual sorts of issues that we do see in QMU. So various ways that guest virtual machines could uh, crash QMU on the host causing a denial of service, sort of the highest impact there. They've all been fixed. Uh, then we've got a bunch of kernel updates. Thank you as always to the kernel team. Uh, a lot of these are for our Azure uh, specific kernels. So if you are running Ubuntu in Azure, you're probably using one of these kernels. We had updates for uh, Ubuntu uh, 2210, uh, 20.04 and 18.04 long-term support releases respectively, eight different vulnerabilities fixed there. The most interesting issue there was um, one actually we talked about in last week's episode, uh, which is a uh, buffer uh, overflow in NFSD subsystem, uh, which therefore could be triggered uh, you know, allowing possible um, code execution in the kernel. So privilege escalation there. Uh, we had an update for our OEM kernel for 2204 long-term support users. So if you are running uh, Ubuntu on uh, like an original equipment manufacturer device, so basically you've ordered a laptop and it comes with Ubuntu pre-installed on it, you may be running this kernel. It's based on the 5.17 upstream kernel. Uh, 10 different CVEs were rolled into this. That included both that uh, NFSD issue I just mentioned plus one I mentioned uh, for the last few weeks which has been uh, this uh, issue in anonymous VMA mappings handling within the kernel uh, that was discovered by uh, Jan Horn at Google Project Zero and yeah, they've got a really good blog post about that that I mentioned last week. So yeah, go listen back to last week's episode if you want to find out more about that or check out the show notes. I've got a link there uh, from in last week's episode to that great blog post from the Google Project Zero team. We had an update for uh, another Azure kernel. This is for some of the older releases. So 18.04 long-term support and 16.04 extended security maintenance. That's a 4.15 based kernel included 16 different CVE fixes rolled into that. And actually I've talked about all of these in uh, previous episodes. So you can go listen back to last week or two and you'll probably hear all about these different vulnerabilities there if you want. Uh, moving on though, we had an update for Vim. I reckon I've mentioned Vim in the last year more than I've mentioned uh, any package probably. It would be interesting to do some stats. Maybe we'll do that as a, uh, you know, something to look at next year. But uh, yeah, uh, six different vulnerabilities rolled into this update for Vim for our 604 extended security maintenance customers. Uh, none of these are really high impact. All of these were found uh, via people fuzzing Vim uh, and they've all submitted via the Vim bug bounty. Uh, so, you know, both the reporters of that collected a bit of a bounty and actually uh, Bram Mullenar, the main Vim 
developer. Looks like he collects a bit of a bounty as well for fixing those. So that's kind of cool. You're good to see uh, bug bounties driving, hopefully, I guess, more security. But in particular, something like Vim, not really often operating on untrusted input. So, you know, I kind of wonder about the security impact of these. But hey, lots of developers do use Vim in lots of different contexts. So, you know, it could be interesting. Uh, and to finish off things, we had an update for Containerd uh, for 1804, 2004, 2204, long-term support, and 2210. Uh, four different CVEs fixed there. And Pillow, the Python imaging library, uh, that was updated as well for a couple of vulnerabilities for our more recent releases, 2004 and 2204, long-term support as well. And that's it for uh, this week in security updates and obviously the year in security updates. Uh, so when we do come back next year, I guess there'll be a fair bit of stuff to cover then in terms of security updates. But hey, <laughs> let's wait till next year to do that. Okay, so the other awesome thing that I wanted to bring you guys this week, a bit of an early holiday present or Christmas present if you celebrate Christmas, is a new discussion from Camilla. Uh, Camilla's been bringing some great different content uh, over the course of this last year on various different topics, diving deep into them, things like cybersecurity buzzwords and other things. Uh, this time, Camilla's back with a discussion about the security of open source versus proprietary code. It was kind of triggered actually by a question that one of her own family members asked her. And it's the kind of thing, I guess, that uh, you know we are all going to the holiday period who may get asked very random questions by our family members around different uh, security related topics and the like and so yeah Camilla dives into this one uh, to discuss essentially how can open source be more secure when the code is public. Hello listener, it has been a while since I last showed up here to share with you some of my thoughts and spread the knowledge and today I am back in order to try to fix that, remove the void I have left in the hearts of those that enjoy listening to me rambling about a certain cybersecurity topic. That being said, I recorded my first podcast segment during the holiday season last year, and I thought it would be very poetic to return at the same time this year to record once again. Especially after I was struck with inspiration after spending a little time with my family. Nothing more fitting for this once again holiday episode, considering it is the time of the year, the most wonderful one, when we usually enjoy mingling and celebrating with family and friends. The time of the year where we meet in order to eat some good food, spend some quality time together, catch up on life, share the joy, and answer the always asked question by someone who knows you work with computers. Do you think it's a virus? Yes, uncle, it probably is. Since the link you clicked on that said free $1,000 Christmas vouchers for the first 10 clicks, is most likely a scam. But hey, I gotta go now because it's time for some delicious holiday season desserts. Your computer can survive a few more hours doing some crypto mining for some random hacker, so I'll check on that later for you. Anyway, surprising as it may be, this actually was not the topic of conversation that brought me here today. Although I fully expect the previously mentioned question to come my way whenever I do meet my family for the end of the year festivities of 2022. Instead, I was asked a question that would probably have my holiday treats wait for me a little bit longer, since it is one I find compelling to answer, and one that I thought would be actually interesting to share the answer to, so that you can take it to your holiday meetings as a hot topic of conversation. You know, show off a little bit to the ones you love. So, to elaborate a little bit more on my story and on this so far mysterious question, while sipping on some delicious cocoa surrounded by some fairy lights and the cold air, even though it is summer during the end of the year where I live, I see you Southern Hemisphere, I was traveling when this happened. 
My dearest not in the IT field family member asked me the following question while we had a conversation about my job. How is it possible to have security in a software when the code for that software is available for all to see on the internet? Running a prettified function on this question, we can word it as, how can open source software be secure if the code is public? And that, family and friends, is the question that we wish to answer today. I already answered my family member, but now I want to do it the fancy way, the holiday spirit way. So gather around with your drinks and delicious appetizers. And before we head for dinner, and of course, dessert, let's think about the year we leave behind, the code that was a part of it, and why, in the year of 2022, can this code be secure when everyone knows exactly what it is. Let's begin this beautiful holiday sharing moment by actually talking about what is open source software and what is not open source software, as well as why one would think that the former is less secure than the latter. To keep it simple, open source software is the kind of software where the source code, aka the instructions that will be transformed into the computer program that you will later use, is publicly available for all to see. Those that wish to do so can inspect the software's code to know exactly how it does what it does. They can use it freely if following its license terms, and they can even modify it, maybe change its functionalities, be it through creation of a copy of that code that branches from the original version, or be it with authorization from the creator slash maintainer of the software to edit the original version wherever it is being maintained. A beautiful example to bring this all together in your mind, Almost all software packages in Ubuntu are open source. The programs you run in your Ubuntu operating system come from code that is publicly available for all to access through the loveliest internet. For many packages, it is possible to choose one from main or universe, for example, and find its code in a repository after a quick web search. Even quicker, you can download the source code related to the executables and libraries apt installs in your Ubuntu operating system when you run apt-get install insert package name here by running apt-get source insert package name here instead. Please remember to replace insert package name here with the actual package name if you're going to try to do this. Anyway, this package you download with apt may have its code differ a little bit from the original code for that software package, the one maintained by its creator or any successors, also known as the upstream code. And that may happen for various reasons, which I will not go too much further into here. However, to put it directly, this code associated with the package will most likely have its regular upstream maintainers, with a lot of them also accepting contributions from people that might use the software, care about its well-being, or even its security. And the source code in an Ubuntu package will be nothing more than a copy of an upstream version that is being contributed to by the Ubuntu teams and the Ubuntu community. Very much in the holiday spirit, one of the ideas of open source is to have people collaborate on software, as well as have software be shared with those that wish to use it, sometimes with changes. Moving on, on the other side of our coin, we have non-open source software also known as closed source software, which is software for which the source code is not publicly available for all to inspect, use, or modify. Closed source software has its source code protected with only an authorized group of people 
who are usually a part of the organization that develops said software or that is currently maintaining it after taking responsibility for it at a certain point in time, having access to the source code, be it to change the source code or simply to look at it and know what it is. Closed source software is usually not free to use and users that wish to have access to the software and its functionalities will only be able to obtain a final executable version of it, where it is very difficult to acquire information on the source, unless you are very determined, but more on that later. For now, know that closed source software will allow you to execute it, but you can't know what you are executing unless you do some very intense digging. As for an example, let's put it this way so that you can fill in the blanks. If Ubuntu is a door and the doors are open, then that must mean that the windows are... And there you have your answer. I mean, it is the holiday season and we would rather have our guests come in to celebrate through the door instead of any other way. And I say this because I want you to understand that there is no right or wrong when it comes to open source and closed source. There are only preferences and needs. There are situations where one will be more useful than the other or where one might be preferred over the other. Who am I to judge if you let people into your house through your window or your chimney? What actually matters to us here is why is closed source software usually considered something more secure intuitively when open source can be just as or arguably even more secure? So let's try to answer that question, shall we? When you think about wanting to protect something, you think about keeping it hidden, keeping it a secret. Wait, this is not really festive enough for a holiday episode. Let's try again. When you don't want someone to guess what is going to be the surprise holiday dessert you are serving by the end of dinner, you usually won't tell them anything about it. You will hide the recipe, Cook your dessert following that recipe, but only allow your guests to know what it is and eat it once the time is just right. After all, the holidays are all about each family's tradition and I know dessert eating schedules are definitely a part of it for many. Anyway, the point here is, if no one knows what the dessert is and they don't have access to your house while you cook it, bake it, prepare it in general, they cannot copy this recipe to bring their own version of your dessert to your holiday celebration or any other holiday celebration for that matter and they can only speculate on the ingredients once they eat it. And since you kept your ingredients and your cooking utensils far away from messy hands while you prepared your dessert, no one can tamper with it. Maybe steal a little bite before it's actually complete or even add a missing ingredient without authorization. You keep your dessert safe by actually hiding it, allowing people access only when the final product is complete. As much as I love holiday season analogies, let's put our cybersecurity glasses back on and see the situation from the closed source point of view. Your recipe is your source code, you preparing the dessert is you editing, building, and compiling the code to create an executable program, and this executable program is actually your final holiday dessert. You're not sharing your source code, meaning people cannot tamper with it, cannot create a bad copy of it, and cannot inspect it in order to figure out possible failures or ways to exploit it. Yes, even I have fallen victim to the too much sugar mistake when baking stuff, but sometimes we can try to mask mistakes with other ingredients and no one will ever know. This can also be called security through obscurity. 
When you rely on secrecy and confidentiality in order to avoid the exposure of weaknesses and the direct targeting that may befall your software. How can a hacker actually exploit my code if they don't know what the code is? That is the idea behind security through obscurity. I will not get into the details of whether security through obscurity is an effective practice or not, because that is a very intense and polarizing subject. And it is the holiday season. Let's leave the heated discussions for some other time. I will say, however, that it directly clashes with the open source premise. And it is one of the reasons that may be behind the choice of making software closed source. However, even though this might be a way to protect your software from exploitation and from vulnerability discovery, it is not a foolproof technique to avoid the really determined from figuring out what they want when they are trying to hack you. Talking once more about desserts, because they are delicious and a very pleasing analogy to consider, if you have, for example, a friend or family member that is a chef, they go to your holiday dinner party and then eat your dessert, which we will consider here as being a beautiful multi-layered trifle. They eat your trifle and because they are so experienced in the art of cooking, they are able to tell all of the ingredients you have in your cream after tasting it. It is not a skill everyone possesses. Discovering the trifle recipe is no trifle matter, one might say. And it is not something everyone will be looking forward to do. After all, some of us simply want to eat and enjoy the food, be the ingredients what they may. However, there might just be that someone that is willing and capable to go the extra mile to figure out your recipe. And let me tell you the bad news. There is not much you can do about it because there is not much you can hide about your dessert if you intend to serve it for people to eat it. The same goes for code. Yes, it is possible to not share the source code of your software, but for a computer to run a software, it needs to follow the instructions that were transformed into the executable program that originated from the source code. So even if the executable does not contain the exact source code, it will contain something that can be extracted and analyzed by the brave and patient. Any program out there can be reverse engineered into its low-level code version, and this low-level code, mainly created to be machine-readable code, when analyzed, will tell you more about what the source code could actually be. You are able to get from the final product to the actual recipe that led you to that product even if the low-level code will be very difficult to analyze and piece together in order to form something similar to what would be the original source code that generated it. But doubt not, my friend, there are people out there that are willing to do this, and sometimes these people can be really, really good at it. So that is why security through obscurity can help, as it is one more barrier that a hacker needs to cross in order to be able to possibly tamper with a system. However, it is not an impenetrable one, and it will only stop those lazy enough to cross it. Or those that maybe ate too much during dinner already and will pass on dessert. <sighs> Holiday season food is delicious, is it not? Plus, I'm not the type to pass on dessert, and I am definitely not done talking about them, the holiday spirit, and how it all relates to open source code quite yet. So let's keep going. Hold on to that dessert analogy because we will bring it back shortly. For now, we move on, understanding one reason why it might seem that closed source is safer or more secure than open source, especially when you think about one of the main activities performed by the Ubuntu security team, 
which is applying patches to vulnerabilities that are constantly being found in the source code of packages that can be installed in Ubuntu, or that are found in the core of Ubuntu, the kernel. Throughout all the seasons, including the holiday season, we fix issues that are being found by people from the community that look into and identify flaws in these packages, sometimes even unintentionally. We can see this as people finding problems with a recipe and pointing them out to us, forcing us to change it so that the end result will be something better, something that all can enjoy. Hey, you have peanuts here. What about the people who have peanut allergies that will eat this? Or, hey, if this is cooked in the Southern Hemisphere, where it is hot during the holiday season instead of cold, this rest time for the cream might be too much, and it will be too much of a liquid by the time you want to put your trifle in its final container. And while you listen to all these complaints and look at your recipe book, you might think it's all very annoying. Having to change your recipe to fix all these problems. But when you actually think about it, is it not helpful instead? I mean, you don't want to kill grandma because you forgot she was allergic to peanuts, do you? Had you not made your recipe public, you might have not discovered that you had to change it the bad way by having grandma spit that trifle all over the floor and scold you because grandma might fall for fishing scams from time to time, but she knows better than to eat hidden peanuts in your trifle. Also, this is a podcast with positive vibes, so let's not actually consider the worst of the worst situation here for grandma and for you as well. But you get the point. Do not kid yourself by thinking that closed source software has less bugs than open source software. They might be encountered at a smaller rate, since analysis of the source code is something harder to do and can only be done by people with access to the code. However, they are there, and sometimes people figure this out in the worst way possible, when they have already been hacked. And then it is a race to figure out where the bug that caused the issue is so that it can be fixed. By making the source code public, people that are willing to help and are willing to make this code better safer and more robust, have the chance to actively participate in its development and improve the overall final product. One of the reasons why open source software came to be was exactly to provide users with more security, since it is easier to find hidden problems in that which has a lot of people auditing, and it is also easier to trust that which you can audit. Imagine if your prankster cousin wants to tamper with your dessert and they add an extra bad ingredient to the recipe without your knowledge after you leave them a while with your recipe book. After all, you also need to prepare your holiday dinner. Anyway, if you had decided to hide your dessert recipe from everyone, people would only know something was incredibly wrong once they would have eaten it. Of course, if you were hiding it from everyone, you would have also hidden it from your prankster cousin and not shown them the recipe in the first place but they could have just as easily found another way to get to it. And if they did a good job changing the recipe without your knowledge, you might not even know it had been tempered with at all. Shout out to a well-known comedy series in which someone adds some savory food to what is supposed to be a dessert trifle because they thought that was the correct recipe when it was actually all a misunderstanding. The ones who know will know. Of course, when you hide your recipe book well enough, it is not expected that the recipe will be tampered with, but sometimes you yourself are the one doing the tampering. You holiday prankster, you. You want to play a prank on your friends and family during the holidays and decide to add something weird to your dessert. 
If your recipe is public, however, people are able to check for mistakes. And if they see something that might be a problem to them, they can tell you so that you can fix it or they can choose to not eat your dessert if you don't want to act on your apparent mistake. Sure, if you make your recipe public, maybe you don't get to do the prank, which is actually not really nice on your part considering that you are hosting a holiday party to entertain people you love and care about. But if you don't, there might be people who just won't eat your dessert out of lack of trust in you. When we talk about source code, we have the same. Being able to check the source code for a program you wish to use will allow you to check if the source code is doing something you don't see as being secure or if it is behaving insecurely due to a bug. You can even create your own copy of the source with the changes you find are necessary in order to get to use the software in a way you find acceptable. However, since the code is public and a lot of people end up using it, a community usually builds around it and there are always the ones looking to improve code, fix its bugs, and make it more secure overall. So maybe you won't even need your own edited copy of the source code since you can just share your concerns with that community and the issue might be addressed directly in the upstream version of the code. Of course, this all depends if the software you are considering has an active upstream and is being properly maintained. That is unfortunately a downside to free and open source software. Not all code out there is being properly taken care of. Not everyone has the holiday spirit and wants to improve on their dessert recipes. They write it once and just make it available to whoever wants to cook it without any extra additions or mistake corrections. However, fear not, because at least when we're talking about security, information regarding vulnerabilities found in open source code is mostly shared publicly. And since it is possible to have your own copy of the code to edit, People who have these copies can also edit their own versions to fix issues that were found by other people, be it with their own fixes, be it with fixes provided by the upstream developers that maintain the software, as we do with Ubuntu packages. So, as you can see, open source truly encompasses the holiday spirit by allowing people to share and by allowing software to improve under the suggestions of many people. The open source community being a group of friends sitting together to share that holiday dinner, find possible issues and solve them so that next year said dinner can be even more delicious and maybe even have some extra desserts. So there you have it. The reason why you don't need to worry about open source being insecure just because the source code is public. Sure, there is a risk involved with having your code be public, but I had a teacher that once taught me that sometimes it is not about hiding the algorithm, but instead about making it that the algorithm is so well structured that it doesn't matter that said algorithm is public since there is simply no way to exploit it. The basic example are the cryptographic algorithms out there that we use to encrypt our data. The algorithms are public since we need a standard and people need to know how things work in order to implement the standard and use it in their applications. However, it doesn't matter that they are public and that people know the steps necessary to encrypt or to decrypt some plain text, because what matters is that if there is no key, breaking the encryption is simply not achievable in our average lifespan with the average resources. The power of the algorithm is in the way it works, the math and the theory that support it, and not on its visibility. Everyone can look at the algorithm and its security stands strong. So without that key, Breaking encryption is nearly impossible. 
When writing open source code, the idea is to follow the same premise. Write good code in such a way that it doesn't matter that it is public, because even if it is, it is not exploitable since you programmed it with security in mind. So no, please don't hard code passwords into your open source code. That is not secure practice and that is not open source being secure. Don't do it in your closed source code because this is not closed source being secure also. Strive to write a dessert recipe that is so perfect that it doesn't matter if someone tries to tamper with it once it's completed. Your dessert will come out delicious every time. Yeah, I see you prankster cousin trying to turn on the heat to get my trifle to melt. It won't though because I added gelatin to it or whatever ingredient is needed to not have cream melt. I'm not a cooking expert. My family and friends definitely know that. Anyway, of course, there are problems that you might still come across even when cooking or coding with deliciousness and security in mind. Because there is no dessert that can be saved by you using three kilograms of salt instead of three grams of salt on what is supposed to be something sweet because there is an accidental extra K in your recipe. But you get the point and open source gets the point because if your dessert recipe is an open recipe and someone finds this accidental three kilograms of salt mistake, which happens, we're all human and we make mistakes, they can tell you about it and you can fix it. So buy a recipe notebook that can be left outside and no one can write on it unless they use the special notebook pen which you own the rights to. Sign your instructions so that you know which ones are trustworthy and fix the mistakes you find along the way when people that want to share this amazing thing with you give you a nudge about it. You will then know that you are doing your best to provide people with the best holiday dessert ever so that everyone can enjoy it together during this special holiday time. Also, you know, secure open source code during the holidays as well. Well, dearest friends and family, that is all of the holiday spirit I have to share with you today. I wish you all an amazing holiday season filled with love, joy, open source, and lots and lots of security patches. Feel free to share your thoughts about this podcast segment and the topic related to it in any of our social media channels. I hope you enjoyed it. And for now, I bid you all farewell and until next time. Bye. And thanks as always, Camilla. Uh, awesome having you on the podcast this year. I've really enjoyed uh, all the content that you've brought to it and I hope to be able to bring you back next year with more awesome stuff as well. So speaking of next year, uh, the Ubuntu Security Podcast and the whole Ubuntu Security team are going on break for a few weeks. In particular, basically all of Canonical shuts down for the next couple of weeks and so we'll all be on leave. At various times, different people will be checking in from the team trying to make sure there's no world-burning issues and if there are, you know, we'll jump on those fires and stamp them out as we always do. Um, but yeah, the podcast will therefore also be taking a bit of a break, uh, probably coming back in late January. I hope to use the time obviously to relax and recharge like everyone else but to uh, hopefully come up with some some new different directions the podcast might be able to take in the new year. In particular, I've had some various uh, talks with different people interested in potentially uh, co-hosting and that kind of thing, and that would be great. It's been quite a while since I've had a regular co-host. Uh, it would be really interesting, I think, to hear someone else's voice on this that's not just my own. Uh, so yeah, and to be able to have uh, someone else to you know bounce ideas off of and all that cool stuff that happens. So yeah, I hope that we can do that in 2023. So look out for that then, uh, probably late January, as I say, that we will come back. But in the meantime, as always, if you want to get in contact with us, 
you can email the team on security.ubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu Security channel on libera.chat, the awesome IRC network. We are on Mastodon at Ubuntu Security at Fostodon.org. Come and uh, chat to us there or we're still on Twitter, but that's a little bit of a dying place now. But hey, Ubuntu, at Ubuntu underscore sec on Twitter if you want to hit us up over there. With any luck, we'll still see your tweets and be able to get back to them. But yeah, I reckon uh, Mastodon is the way to go nowadays. Okay, so wishing everyone a safe and a relaxing holiday break if you're having one. And if you're not, I hope there aren't too many cyber fires that we'll have to put out. Uh, as I say, we will be back again with you all in 2023, uh, probably late January. So look out for us then in your podcast feed. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.